Let's, uh, let's open up uh, Genesis 6, and I'm going to start reading in, uh, in verse 13. This is kind of a long passage, so bear with me. The, the flood, we're going through the flood, it's four chapters, so we've got to take big chunks at a time if we're not going to uh, be in this one story uh, forever. So let's, um, this is our second week on it. Let's start on, uh, in verse 13. This is the Word of God. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, breadth 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark on its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks, and behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of, e- of every sort into the ark to keep them alive, and they shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come uh, into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of of waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creep on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, On the seventeenth day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the mountains of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that... Uh, that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two, and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of, li- breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. 
Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and uh, we thank you for the ways that it challenges us. We ask that you give us soft hearts as we come to your word, that we would be teachable. And um, I pray uh, especially that you uh, would give me grace as I teach your people your word. And uh, would we uh, taste through this um, your love that you have for us in Christ. And um, would you just open our minds and guide us uh, in a difficult and long passage. And so we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, last... Last week was kind of our first sermon on the flood, and we kind of dealt with the question of God's vengeance and, you know, God being, uh, you know, this kind of brutal act of the flood. Um, and one of the things that, you know, the Bible always says about the, the flood narrative is it's kind of a precursor that there's going to be this final day of reckoning, this uh, day of judgment uh, that is coming in the future. And this is kind of a precursor to that. And, um, you know, I, I'd say for... Much of my Christian life, I, that was, those were diff, have been difficult parts of the, of the Bible for me. You know, I, I, that there's this, this judgment. It was, you know, I kind of wish that it wasn't there in the Bible. And, uh, you know, for a main part, because for many people, when I begin to talk to them about Jesus or the faith, for a lot of people, that was just a stopping point. You know, you believe in this big, giant trial with the big, angry God who, you know, everyone's going to stand before. All the billions and billions of people are going to come and stand before God and give an account for their life. And, um, but, you know, one of the things that's interesting about our culture is uh, this year, I think there's 170 reality uh, TV shows that, you know, on network and cable TV. There's 170 uh, reality TV shows. Shannon and I tend to watch the reality shows on the, uh, the Food Network. Uh, Chopped is Chopped's our favorite. We like Top Chef too, and uh, you know one of the things, uh, kind of, that's typical of a lot of reality shows, is uh, that the way it goes. You know, like Chopped, you get some guy. He's just the average Joe chef, and he comes in. They give him. Uh, he gets a set of ingredients. He needs to make uh, some dish and do the best he can. He has a time limit. He has these constraints. Use his skills. And in these shows, at the very end, there's always the board of judges that they're going to come before and they're going to give an account and they're going to be uh, critiqued. And uh, the judges are the experts. They're, they have the standard. And, and, you know, in a lot of these shows, you know, you, Chop, for example, they, they always have the confessionals during, during... I don't know when they do the confessional, if they kind of step out while they're cooking or something and do their little confessional. They talk about, you know, oh, you know, I didn't know what to do with uh, eel. I haven't cooked eel before. And, um, but one of the big things the producers always bring in is that uh, the reward, if you win, is $10,000. And so they're talk- they always want to bring out, what are you going to do with the $10,000? And, you know, oh, I want to send my kid to college or, you know, I want, to, I want to send my parents on a cruise. And they have all these hopes and dreams that are kind of linked to this verdict. That's coming. And uh, so, and that's how it goes. They play out. It's this, the, the world is watching them. And then they come and they stand before the world and before these judges. And they get a verdict of whether their kind of hopes and dreams are going to be fulfilled on the other side of this verdict. Now, 
you might imagine I'm gonna I'm gonna make a parallel <laughs> with the Christian story. You know, we're living life. We have God has a calling for our life, and uh, and you know what the uh, uh, God has has made us in the world as as image bearers. And actually, one of the things that Romans says is that the whole creation, all the you know the stars, the mountains, the the whales, the everything, the importance of human life is that they are all kind of watching us, wondering, what are you going to do? What, how is your life going to be played out? How, um, how are you going to live? And that, That's what it says in Romans. They're, they're, they're kind of like holding their breath. Who are you going to be waiting for this kind of final verdict? And the Bible says that we will all, uh, you know, one day uh, stand before God before his kind of beautiful, terrifying face, um, and he will examine every relationship we've had, uh, every failure, every victory that we've had, and, and, our t- and our story, the story of our life, will be t- publicly told uh, to the world, and a verdict will be brought on it. And that in that verdict is wrapped all of every longing, every hope, every desire that we have buried deep inside us is wrapped up in that, in that verdict. And so, you know, and, and one of the things that's interesting about our culture, our culture, on the one hand, that we say, you know, don't talk to me about the big the courtroom with God and, and the books are open and, and giving accounts. Don't tell me about that. And yet we're watching reality TV. We're hungry for reality TV of people's lives uh, Passing a test, making a verdict, and, and coming into hopes and dreams. Something in us is wired that that's, that's what we're made for. And uh, one of the things about this text, you know, Jesus taught this passage, this long passage I just read, uh, this, it kind of shaped Jesus' psyche. And, um, and I know that a lot of people kind of think of Jesus as, you know, love your neighbor, don't judge, is, is the main thing he was saying. Here's another thing that he said. Uh, of how he's applying this text. This comes from Luke 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Son of Man's kind of Jesus' title for himself as the judge, basically. And uh, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. And what Jesus says, you know, when he talks about eating and drinking and marrying and starting families and stuff, he's not saying those, you know, that's what people were doing and there was this, this judgment, this kind of trial was coming before God and, uh, and everyone's eating. He's not saying those were bad things. He's saying those are good things. Everyone's kind of going about their life, but they, they never took any time to think about, um, I will stand and I will give an account. And Jesus is saying, Jesus says that. This isn't me, by the way. This isn't me saying that. Jesus says that we'll have to give an account and uh, let me just say that for many of us, we absolutely refuse to think about that. That I will stand before God, and God, my story will be told publicly, and God will evaluate my life. For, you know, maybe we're afraid of it. Maybe we think it's offensive that anyone would even think that, you know, this is my public life. People, someone getting in my life, judging my life, you know. Or maybe we just ne- it's never even occurred to us to think about it. And so actually, we're going to take this text and think about... Um, this question of standing before God. And so I'm going I'm to say two things um, as we think about it. First, um, that we must face the day of God's judgment soberly. But second, that you must know the story of your life before you can live it. You must know the story of your life before
before you can live it. And these two things are going to be tied together. So, um, and let me just say, I, I really think that this question, um, the deep longings of our hearts, the deep things of feeling satisfied, the things that we're trying to have satisfy us, whether it's money or jobs or family or relationships, this question is the thing that really is, it touches down on that and satisfies us. So, um, so first, let me see here. Uh, we need to face the day of God's judgment soberly. Now, um, now I'd say probably the, the main reason, you know, people don't want to talk about judgments, probably they, they don't think that it's going to happen, you know, very similar to Noah, right? He's, Noah's building this giant boat, and everyone's like, yeah, you know, okay there, jack wagon, you know, what's wrong? You know, building a giant boat, you're going to put, the, uh, uh, put these animals on there, and, uh, you know, there's a giant flood coming, yeah, and, and, you know, I should mention that most people in our day would say probably the flood didn't happen, um, and, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a geologist, uh, but one of the things that's uh, striking about the story of the flood, I don't know if you know this, you might think, yeah, right, you know, this is just, this is uh, just a figment of someone's imagination, this is some kind of mythology that happened a long time ago, there was a giant flood that wiped out a bunch of people. Every, almost every civilization in the history of the world has in its uh, legends and early narratives is that there was a giant flood that happened in, in the earth. I, I mean, the Greeks, the Romans, the Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Koreans, the Chinese, the uh, you know, Aborigines down in, uh, down in Australia, all of them have very strikingly similar stories that there was a giant flood that came. And, you know, they have variations on why it happened and, you know, which God did it and stuff like that. But, you know, just to kind of show you how uh, uh, compelling of a fact this is. I'm just going to read you one account uh, from the Skagit Native Americans down the Skagit River Valley just down here. Okay? Tell me if this story sounds familiar. This is, from, this is one of their legends. Okay? And you, you know, think about uh, uh, Genesis is written in the ancient Near East in uh, probably 1500 B.C. And this is from something just, around, you know, just next door down in the Skagit County. After the world had been created for a while... Everyone learned the four names of the earth. Everyone and everything spoke the Skagit language. When the people began to talk to the trees, then the change came. The change was a flood. Water covered everything but two high mountains, Koba and Tacoba. Those two mountains, Mount Baker and Mount Rainier, did not go under. When the people saw the flood coming, now listen to this, listen to this. When the people saw the flood coming, they made a great big canoe. They loaded it with two of every living, uh, everything living on the earth, with male and female of every animal and plant. When the flood was over, the canoe landed on the prairie in the Skagit country. Five people were in the canoe. After the flood, when the, when the uh, land was dry again, they made their way back here. That's all I'm going to give you for... <laughs> Did the flood happen? Uh, there is a, something buried in the memory of humans in every civilization throughout the globe that there was a giant. And, and right here in our backyard, that's true. So, um, so I, I think uh, the Bible and Jesus seem to think that uh, the flood really happened. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you that personally, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm talking to people about the Bible and about Jesus all the time. And I'm generally, you know the way that I want to kind of encourage them to pursue God is usually not with the threat of, a ju- of judgment coming. You know, you want people to, to see like, wow, 
you know, my life's broken. I see that Jesus loves sinners. And look at, look at the love of God and, and just to embrace him in faith. You know, he wants to be this very positive thing. Um, and uh, there's this evangelism course. You know, some of you might be familiar with this uh, that, uh, you know, teaches people how to talk, talk to people about Jesus. And, uh, you know, they kind of give you these steps to go through. And, you, you know, when you're sitting on the bus or the airplane, you get talking to the person. And then you somehow work in the question, if you died tonight, how do you know that you'd go to heaven? And, you know, the person's supposed to kind of, they either say, well, I'm good. And, and then you say, no, you're not as good as you think. Or they say, well, I know, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think about it. And, and then you say, well, Jesus, you need Jesus to go in. And, um, you know, I've always been kind of like, ah, I don't, it's not my style. You know, it's just, I don't even know this person. I'm kind of barging their life and say, yeah, you're not as good as you think. Yeah, I don't even know you, but, uh, but not as good as, you're not as good as you think. You need Jesus. And, uh, but, you know, um, that question, though, if you died tonight, uh, would you, why should God let you into heaven is a, is a vital question. Uh, it, what it does is it puts us, I mean, it's a good thing. Put you at the end of your life and look back and have your story tell, told and to evaluate it. What, it. what should God think? Who are you in the story? Are you a protagonist? Are you the antagonist? Are you, uh, you know, how, how were your relationships? How did you treat people? Um, you know, how should God eva- evaluate you? And will God commend your life? Listen, it's not a fun thing to think about, but it's a, in any other area of life, if, some, if, if something was coming, we say you need to think about it. Something was coming in the future. And what the Bible tells us, um, and this is shocking, is that the thing that God's going to be looking for when we stand before him is faith in, faith in Jesus. That, that's, that, you know, actually, that's what Hebrews 11 says. The reason that uh, Noah got on the ark was because he had faith. And so, look, why faith in Jesus is so, so narrow, right? Uh, this one little thing is the thing that God's looking for. Well, let me, let me just, uh, you know, I, I think people say, faith in Jesus, you know, what about all the, there's billions of people never even heard about Jesus. How can you say that's the one thing that God's looking for? You know, what about the good people that they help, they're helping the poor, they've got a good family, they're good parents, and they don't believe in Jesus. What about them? And so, let me say, first of all, you know, C.S. Lewis has this great, the quote that comes up a lot in his Narnia stories that um, when he talks, about, uh, he's talking about Aslan, and uh, basically he's saying that God only tells us our own story. Actually, Jesus says this too. God only tells us our own story. God is far more fair, far more just than any of us, and he knows how to deal with the billions of people out there. And so, you know, if my kids kind of tried that, like, you know, if... Uh, you know, if your kids try that, they, they say, you know, oh, don't, what about me? What about them? You know, uh, why don't you think about them? You say, no, we're talking about you, right? And uh, that's how God does too. He says, it's not a cop-out. We need to think about your life. God, you know, we can't think about the kid in India. We're going to think about you. And, um, and also, uh, you know, what's interesting about the criteria of faith. Why just faith? Why is that the thing that God's looking for? Well, if it's not faith, there's going to be some other criteria that God's going to use. And um, if you take any other criteria, it's, it's going to be preferential, right? So if you say, let's say nice people, you know, that, I mean, that's generally, I know so-and-so, they're a really decent person, 
amiable, get along with people well? Why isn't nice the reason to get in? Well, you know, a lot of people, they grow up in a family that are, are nice. And they learn how to, you know, you should ask other people questions instead of talking about yourself all the time. You know, ask other, their parents taught them that. And some people didn't get taught that. And, and so the people who ask the questions... They're nicer, and, uh, and it's just their setting, and, or maybe it's their gifts. Or, you know, what if you say hardworking? Uh, God's looking for hardworking people. You know, some people, they have a Myers-Briggs that's like, you know, they're a S- ST- STP or whatever. I don't know, STP. And uh, STPs get uh, work harder, and they have a propensity for that. And so uh, uh, there's a pre- it's preferential. And what faith says, when God says, this is the thing I'm looking for, is he's saying, who comes to me and says that I need, he comes to God and says, I need you. And when you say that I need you, when we're honest about our failures, and we come to God and we say, this is, all I bring is I need you, and that me passing your judgment is going to be a gift. It's not going to be the good things I do, it's going to be a gift from you. What that does is that totally levels the playing field. And that's what you see in the Christian church, is you don't see, you know, educated people or uneducated people or just nice people. When you come to the church, you get people who aren't nice, and they, they don't know, how to, you know, how to ask questions or to uh, be generous. You know, it, there's all kinds of sinners, all kinds of people in here, uh, uh, different ages, different races, different nations, everything. Because faith, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. If God says, I come to you, and I, I need the forgiveness of my sins, and I know that I'm a sinner, I know that I'm a failure... And it's not by any merit of my own. Totally levels the playing field. And so, uh, it's very, it's, that's the fairest. Uh, it's, it's fair, as fair as any other standard. But let me, uh, let me say this, uh, lastly, the reason. Um, uh, where am I here? Sorry. Um, the last reason that kind of comes from this text of why we need faith in Jesus when, you know, if there's a judgment coming is that this text says that we need an ark. Okay? Uh, we need something that uh, when the consequences for the way that, we've, uh, that we hurt people, that we've slighted people, that we've uh, um, ignored people, uh, that we've judged people, the consequences for those come, we need something that's going to absorb the waves, the crashing waves, right? Um, Noah has this ark, there's crashing waves of judgment coming, and he needs something to absorb it. And uh, what the gospel says um, is that in Christ, if, if that we're in Christ, the day of judgment has already happened. The, way, the crossing waves have already come and he's absorbed them all. There's no more of them. They've, it's all been poured on him and there's no more wrath. There's no more anger. There's no more, there's no more justice. God, God has placed it all on him. And so what we have in Jesus is we have an ark as we pass through God's judgment. It's something, you know, just as Noah's, the ark took him from the old world before the flood to the new world. That's what Christians believe. That's the the Christian storyline. And um, so let me just say that um, uh, God's, what God is looking for uh, when we stand before him is do we know that we need the forgiveness of our sins? Do we know that we can't pass on our own merit? And do we believe in Jesus? Do we just embrace him? Do we say uh, salvation is a gift? And one of the things that people, you know, a, the trouble people have with that is say, you know, that's what Christianity, you know, that's all you Christians are about. You know, getting your ticket into heaven. You know, if you believe this, I know all kinds of Christians, they're jerks to everyone, but they, 
believe in Jesus, and uh, so they're going to get to go to heaven, and, uh, and they got their ticket. Uh, what does what any of that have to do with now? What is, you know, look at our world. We need people loving each other. We need new people. We don't need to worry about heaven. What about now? Does that have anything to do with now? The fact is that, that by faith in Christ, the wrath of God is absorbed in Christ, has everything to do with now. And so that leads to our second point, that you must know your, the story of your life before you can live it. You need to know the story of your life before you can live it. Um, a couple weeks ago, Shannon and I watched uh, with our kids Never Ending Story, which I hadn't, I hadn't seen in probably 20 years. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen Never Ending Story, but you know, after the initial 10 minutes of kind of getting over the bad special effects that you know, I thought were pretty sweet when I was a kid, um, uh, uh, it was actually really uh, an enjoyable movie to watch. And I don't know if you, if you haven't seen Never Ending Story. Never Ending Story is about this world called Fantasia, and it's basically the world exists because of this kid's imagination. So it's kind of like the world is this kid's imagination, and he's kind of uh, getting depressed, and you know, his life's kind of going into apathy and despair, and the world is getting destroyed. And so because his imagination's kind of dispe- disappearing. And so you know, most of the story happens in Fantasia, and uh, there's this thing called the nothing that's destroying Fantasia, and you know, this empress calls this young warrior boy to come and, uh, you know, stop the nothing, and his name's Atreyu, you know, Atreyu, Atreyu, you know, I don't know how many times it says that in the movie, Atreyu, and, uh, and so, you know, the, the movie goes on, Atreyu's going on this adventure, he's traveling thousands, thousands of miles trying to stop the nothing, and there's this, this part at the, uh, uh, towards the end, where he's kind of given up hope, and the nothing is just like outside his door, and, uh, you know, just about to consume him, and he comes into this, uh, Ruin, this castle where they, these ruins and it has these ancient ruins and he comes in these rooms and he sees that there's these old painted murals on the different rooms and the first one he comes into is a scene from earlier in the movie where he's in the you know the the swamp of sadness and his horse drowns there and he's and there's this picture of the of him and his horse and he goes in the next room and then there's a picture of him you know riding on his he has this dog dragon thing that uh, he rides on. And there's a picture of him with his flying dog that he's riding on. And, and he goes in another room, and, uh, and he's at, you know, there's these, this, this sphinx gate, this magic gate that he had to cross through. And he's going through, and this, this castle is telling him his story. And then, you know, you're kind of like, what's going to happen next? It's been leading up to right now in this point in the movie, and he goes into the next room, and there's a new painting and there's this face of a black wolf looking at him. You know, this hasn't happened yet. It's kind of the next, the next chapter in the story. And right as he looks at it, he hears the... And he turns around. There's the wolf. And, you know, he kills the wolf. And, uh, but anyways, what's interesting is what's happening there to Atreyu. He comes into this, uh, this castle. His story is being told to him. It's very similar to what the Bible does for us. Except it's totally inverted. He gets told the story that's happened... And then he gets a little bit of what happens next. What the Bible does is it tells us the story of our lives before it happens. That's actually what the gospel does. And um, let me see where I'm going here. Sorry. Um, uh, and let me, so let me, let me tell you what I mean. We're, uh, in, after the, the sermon, in a moment here, uh, Jack Moss is going to come up and is going to be baptized. 
And um, one of the things about uh, baptism is the Bible says that these kind of, you know these waters of baptism are actually kind of like somehow correspond with the flood. Um, let me just to prove it to you. This is from First Peter three. God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven. So the flood is what's called a... Um, a type of, uh, of baptism. And, you know, some of you might wonder, why, why do we have, you know, Trev and Kristen love Jesus, believe in Jesus, um, and, and baptism is kind of a sign of being united to Christ, trusting in Christ. Why are we going to take a baby and put this sign on Jack? Jack didn't say he loved Jesus yet. We don't, uh, you know, why don't we give him some time, find out what he thinks about it. Well, um, one of the things that you see in this, uh, in this passage is that, you know, this storm is coming. It says that Noah had faith and he was getting on the ark. And uh, look at verse 18 there. Um, I know I haven't referred to this passage much this time, but um, uh, 18, uh, in chapter 6, sorry, at the beginning there. But I will establish my covenant with you. That's what God says to, uh, to Noah. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And, uh, and then in, in verse seven, the, then the Lord, uh, in chapter seven, verse one, then the Lord said to Noah, "Go into the ark, you and all your household, uh, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation." So what you have is that uh, um, Noah had faith, and yet what God loves to do is He loves to save uh, and, and to draw to Himself families, whole families. And so that even though Noah was the one who had faith, the children are coming. The children are in. They're a part of it. And uh, now, does that mean, you know, does Jack need to kind of learn about Jesus for himself, have faith in Jesus for himself? I mean, is this magic water that, you know, you know makes him uh, saved because he has this magic water? No, that's not what it is. He needs to believe for himself. He needs to grow into that. But, um, but what the Bible teaches is that um, Jack gets his story of his life told at the beginning. And uh, the story of his life, that, um, that God has a calling for him. God has a plan for him. God has a purpose for him. Uh, and he, that he gets to grow up in that. And, you know, uh, you know as a kid, uh, my, I was a really bad student. I mean, all the way through middle school, high school, didn't do homework. Uh, really poor student. And all through that time, you know, my mom would just tell me again and again and again, uh, Nate, you know, you really got math in your blood. You, you know, math, even though, you know, I'm getting F's, I'm getting D's and everything, she kept telling me, you know, math, you're good at, you're good at math, your grandpa's good at math, you're, you're good at math. And, you know, uh, as I uh, came to college, you know, I was still a bad student, still a bad student, but um, when I'd get into, I, I ended up being a math major, and when I got into, uh, you know, even upper level math courses, and there's all these guys who've been, you know, with the glasses and the, the TI-89, and, and, you know, I was like, I could go toe-to-toe with them. I had confidence. I was like, let's go. I'll, I'll debate you some math. You want? Uh, and, and even though they were like, and part of that was because of my story, my mom had given me this story. This is who you are. You're, math, you're a math guy. And even, you know, actually I was, you know, I was a lecturer at Western when I was in graduate school, and I would have these people come in my office from my class, and I remember this, uh, this gal, bless her heart, whatever you say, um, <laughs> 
she come in and she's like, I'm having trouble with this problem. And I, and I was, we were working on the board and I'm like, okay, this is how it works. If you have A, then you get B. We have A, so you say that, you know, and she's like, I seriously don't like math. I seriously, I don't, I'm not good at math. And I'm just like, we have A, you get B. We have A, so, and, uh, and completely stopped her. She couldn't because in terms of math, is kind of a, a small picture of this was her story. And uh, what, uh, what the Bible does for us is that the whole question of, uh, is the question of who we are, what are we going to be, um, it begins. You know, if you become a Christian, you get baptized. And you know, what's, you know what this is a picture of? This says uh, you belong to God. You've been set apart to be a blessing in the world, to be a light to the world, to bring God's love to the world. All your sins are forgiven. All the wrath is paid for. God, God looks on you and smiles at you. God promises to come alongside you and fill you with his spirit and uh, equip you for everything that you need to do. And you're going to live your story. You're going to fill out your, your, uh, your purposes. God has planned good works for you to do in your life. They're planned. You just have to walk in them. And it's going to lead you all the way to the time where you will stand before him and he will say well done to you. And he will bring you into his kingdom and you will see Jesus face to face in a restored creation. That's all this is. Jack's story is getting told at the beginning. And now he gets to just go live it, walk in it. That's what we have as Christians as well. God gives us the story. He gives us our verdict. Because judgment day has already passed. Jesus already bore it on the cross. Judgment day is over. And now we're just walking in the story that God has for us. And so uh, that's what we have for Jack. So you see these two images of judgment and baptism, very similar. Judgment, we stand before God, and he tells the story that we already lived and gives a verdict. Baptism, God tells us the story before it happens, and we walk in, we walk in it, empowered by that. And that's what we need. We need to know what is our story at the beginning. Let's pray together. Our Father, uh, we thank you. Um, that you indeed are holy, and yet that we can stand before you not because of any merit of our own, but because of the grace that is in Jesus. We pray that you would increase our faith, uh, that we would rest in him, and that we could look forward to that day. And uh, help us to uh, turn from sin, and um, we just thank you uh, um, for uh, our baptism that we can look to as a sign and a seal of the promises that you've made to us. And so uh, we pray for your grace now in Christ's name. Amen.